Greetings. This is Roger Kimball, the editor and publisher of The New Criterion. It's my pleasure to introduce you to our March 2021 issue. A little late, I'm afraid. We've been very busy and have been hither and yon despite the travel restrictions imposed upon us by our masters in Albany and Washington. But here we are, and in March we have a cornucopia of really terrific pieces. Our lead feature is by Jacob Howland, and it's about Dostoevsky's novel Demons, and it's on 150th anniversary. Anthony Daniels has a fascinating piece on the author of the Billy Bunter novels. The title alone is worth the price of admission, I think. It's called The Morality of the Fat Owl. James Penrose weighs in with a fascinating piece on the French Revolution, taking off from a new book by Benedetta Craveri. And Paul Dean has a long piece about Arthur Clough and Matthew Arnold, two Victorian-era stalwarts. You won't want to miss the March 2021 issue. It's chock full of interesting things. We also have two notes and comments about related subjects. The first is called Canceling Classics. So, the New York Times has finally caught up with Danielle Padilla Peralta. Last month, the paper Sunday magazine ran a long, fawning story by Rachel Poser called He Wants to Save Classics from Whiteness. Can the field survive? The he in question is Padilla, this week's poster child for petulant academic fatuousness, Department of Minatory Wokeness. According to Poser, Padilla, who, who teaches classics at Princeton University, is, quote, a leading historian of Rome. This is not true. He has published only one academic book, a version of his dissertation, which is about Roman religion in the middle years of the Republic. His only other book is a whiny, self-indulgent memoir called Undocumented, a Dominican boy's odyssey from a homeless shelter to the Ivy League. Nevertheless, the 30-something academic already has tenure at Princeton. Do you wonder why? Attentive readers of The New Criterion are acquainted with Danel Padilla Peralta. He has cropped up in our pages a few times, most recently in Decline and Fall, Classics Edition from March 2019, a column about how the academic study of classics has increasingly succumbed to the imperatives of identity politics. Padilla is at the forefront of the racial side of this enterprise. Traditionally, one abiding attraction of the classics was the universal appeal it exerted. It didn't matter if you were male or female, Spanish or Somali, rich or poor, black or white. The hexameters of Homer, the arguments of Aristotle, the cadences of Catullus had a timeless and cross-cultural appeal that spoke to our humanity, not our tribal affiliation. Woke academics like Padilla want to cancel all that. All classic scholars, he has insisted, have a, quote, responsibility to race 
the discipline. Martin Luther King Jr. taught that what matters is not the color of your skin, but the content of your character. Padilla joins with the Black Lives Matter crowd in reversing that dictum. He is, as we put it in 2019, an apostle of all race, all the time. Among other things, this means that he is for racial preferences, just so long as blacks are the beneficiaries. It's a delicate matter, however. He claims to have been outraged when, during a question period after his presentation at a conference sponsored by the Society for Classical Studies, an independent scholar named Mary Frances Williams suggested it was possible he got his job because of his race. Williams was ritually shamed and ejected from the conference for that impolitic observation. But the irony is that Padilla not only agreed with the substance of Williams' comment, he also thinks that it is a good thing that he was hired because of his race. Here is how he put it. Quote, Seeing as no one in that room or in the conference corridors afterwards rallied to the defense of blackness as the cornerstone of my merit, I will now have to repeat an argument that will be familiar to critical race scholars of higher education, but that is barely legible to the denizens of Hatch Sign Classics So White. I should have been hired because I was black, and that's his emphasis. Because my Afro-Latinity is the rock-solid foundation upon which the edifice of what I have accomplished and everything I hope to accomplish rests. End quote. That's not all. Padilla also believes that, quote, white men will have to surrender the privilege they have of seeing their words printed and disseminated. They will have to take a back seat so that people of color and women and gender non-conforming scholars of color benefit from the privilege of seeing their words on the page, end quote. And if that doesn't happen, then the discipline of classics might have to be destroyed. Quote, the demolition of the discipline itself, he wrote, might have to be part of a new program for reparative intellectual justice. The idea that various traditional disciplines, including classics, should be destroyed in order to purge them of the sin of whiteness is all the vogue. Sarah Bond, a history professor and director of undergraduate studies at the University of Iowa, suggested in a tweet that such disciplines be, quote, dismantled and burned so that white supremacy can be smothered, end quote. Nor is the fad confined to colleges. Heather Levine, a teacher at Lawrence High School in Massachusetts, recently bragged about how proud she was that, quote, we got the odyssey removed from the curriculum this year, exclamation point, end quote. Levine is part of a movement epitomized by the hashtag Disrupt Texts, whose goal is to cancel classic texts from Homer and Shakespeare down to the present day 
and replace them with, quote, young adult books that mirror the pieties and attitudes of woke commissars of correctitude. Naturally, the New York Times is a champion of all such initiatives. The 1619 Projects, its infamous exercise in racially aggravated historical mendacity, is part of this effort, as is this 8,000-word encomium to Danel Padilla Peralta. As a piece of intellectual history, Poser's essay is embarrassingly inept. In her eagerness to puff Padilla and exhibit her own credentials as a warden of wokeness, she has produced an incoherent goulash in which big names jostle with empty abstractions to produce a foul aroma of bloviating intellectual wind. Quote, figures like Diderot and Hume, she writes, derived some of their ideas on liberty from classic texts where they found declarations of political and personal freedoms, end quote. You don't say, or rather, so what? She follows this with a pointless snippet from Pericles' funeral oration and then says that in the Enlightenment, quote, admiration for the ancients took on a fantastical unhinged quality, like a strange sort of mania, end quote. Then comes a little gibberish about the art historian Winkelmann, Hegel's aesthetics, and Keats's ode on a Grecian urn, dragged in, we feel certain, because of the word Grecian in its title. Quote, historians, Poser writes, stress that such ideas one wonders which ideas, cannot be separated from the discourses of nationalism, colorism, and progress that were taking shape during the modern colonial period. Enlightenment thinkers created a hierarchy with Greece and Rome, coded as white on top, and everything else below, end quote. To which we can only say, no, they didn't. Poser, like Padilla, Sarah Bond, and many of the academics she quotes in this flaccid piece of through text seems titillated by the prospect of destroying the discipline of classics. To some extent, of course, it is just play-acting. Most of these would-be revolutionaries have tenure, and there is zero chance that they won't be cashing their checks. But there are some dark sides to this drama. One has to do with character, It is clear that Padilla, clever as he is, has throughout his life been immensely lucky in finding teachers who have taken an interest in helping him. His is a poignant story. But as he became increasingly radicalized, he also became increasingly ungrateful. We suspect this is true of many other tenured radicals who want to destroy the thing that nurtured them and now supplies their livelihood. Which brings us to another dark side of this story, the faltering confidence in the larger project of Western civilization. That phrase, Western civilization, is routinely held up for ridicule by academics whose education and leisure have depended upon its achievements and largesse. It is, let us remember, the civilization that bequeathed us such ideals as individual liberty, free speech, equality before the law, and limited government, not to mention the engines of technological progress and free market prosperity. 
The irony is that such rancid philistinism should have been launched from within institutions entrusted with preserving the riches of the traditions that these new barbarians seek to destroy. George Orwell once observed that some ideas are so asinine that only a member of the intelligentsia could believe them. The idea that the classical legacy, being instinct with racism, is, quote, one of the most harmful stories we've told ourselves, eminently qualifies as an asinine idea in Orwell's sense. It is sad that these self-infatuated poseurs and posers have deprived themselves of this fertile source of wisdom and aesthetic delectation. Sadder still, that they have deprived their students of it. French rejection. The truth about wokeism seems to be invisible to the denizens of that madhouse. Take a step outside, though, and its preposterousness, as well as its malevolence, is shatteringly obvious. This is something we were reminded of recently when the French president, Emmanuel Macron, took a forthright stand against that toxic American import. There is some irony in this, since the flow of that ideological cloaca maxima had for decades moved in the opposite direction, from France to the United States. Sartre, Derrida, Foucault, the very names of those forerunners of wokeism, should send a shudder down the spine of any sensible person. Who knows how many American minds they corrupted. But now the garbage scows steam mostly from west to east, hauling a smelly cargo of poisonous race and gender-obsessed clichés. As a story in the New York Times put it, the French regard wokeism as an existential threat. Quote, it fuels secessionism, gnaws at national unity, abets Islamism, attacks France's intellectual and cultural heritage, end quote. Indeed. Macron's education minister zeroed in on the source of the problem. Quote, there's a battle to wage against an intellectual matrix from American universities, end quote. Wokeism reduces every subject, no matter how complex, to a few ideological formulae about race or gender. Quote, for academics, playing word games, as the commenter Glenn Harlan Reynolds says, deploying wokeism can be fun. Among other things, it imbues one's activities with a seductive draft of self-importance and power. After all, the business side of being woke is canceling all that is unwoke. It's snotty students screaming at their housemasters, oops, you can't say masters, about Halloween costumes, the New York Times editors firing columnists for uttering a fair word, department chairs or college presidents dismissing professors for trespassing against some article of an always shifting orthodoxy. Reynolds is right, quote, but if you're Macron or any sensible European observer, Seeing a United States in which playing the national anthem or displaying the flag is deemed, quote, offensive and, quote, problematic 
in which professors are suspended or threatened for quoting Supreme Court opinions verbatim when they contain unapproved language, and which has seen months of urban riots tearing apart some of America's biggest cities. How could you not say no thanks? This may actually be good news, since American academics and the people they train still have a residual inferiority complex regarding cultural and intellectual matters vis-a-vis France and the United Kingdom. Whether that is justified is a question we are not prepared to answer. But Emmanuel Macron's sudden bout of patriotic common sense is a reassuring reminder that the instinct for self-preservation has not been entirely bred out of the French. And if that is so, there is hope for the rest of us, despite the preening tergiversations of protected class academics like Danel Padilla Peralta. This is Roger Kimball signing off for the new Criterion.